We are turning to 1 Samuel chapter 16 today in our Samuel series. My calling here today is to present the Word of God to you. We'll be looking at an Old Testament saint by the name of David. But throughout this message, we will be doing something that all preachers should do, and that's make sure that Jesus Christ is seen in the very heart of it. I will be making sure, with the Lord helping me, that we will see Jesus. Because King David, long ago, his entire life was lived in such a way, prophetically, and the way he carried himself, to point ahead to great David's greater son, whose name is Jesus. 1 Samuel. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 23. Hear now the eternal word of God. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Brothers and sisters, this is going to be our key verse this morning, so I will read it again to us. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, We'll send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, 
A harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. I'm turning to the book of Acts for three verses that are pertinent to our message this morning, consistent with our message this morning. It's found in chapter 13, verses 21 through 23. Remember now that Saul disobeyed God, and God wrested the kingship from his hands and is conferring it upon David now. Chapter 13 of Acts, Paul is speaking. He's recounting the history of Israel. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. Some translations say, after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. So far, the reading from God's holy word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin this message. Father in heaven, in all things, we rely on you. In our speech, in our actions, in our attitudes, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we preach, what we preach, today is no different. We're looking for your spirit to touch, to guide, anoint your messenger this morning, anoint the message, and anoint our ears. Father, help us to become more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of the message this morning is A Man and a Woman After God's Own Heart. It's the heart that counts. David, he's the eighth son. He's tending stinky sheep. He wasn't even called to the banquet. But man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. But David had beautiful eyes. He had a ruddy complexion, healthy not a pasty white complexion, and he was handsome in appearance. But God wasn't looking at the outward man. God looks at the heart. Then we look ahead to Jesus, David's greater son, the one to whom 
David is prophesying with his entire life, Jesus. The Bible says this about Jesus Christ. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. But this is what God said about Jesus. This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. God doesn't look at the outward appearance of a man or a woman. He looks upon the heart. And so Samuel was instructed to anoint David as king with the oil. That's what you do with kings and prophets and priests. You anoint them with oil when they are being commissioned for service. But God anointed David for work of service by pouring out his spirit upon him. The question this morning is what pleases God? The question this morning is what is it about the human heart that pleases God? What about the condition or the orientation of the human heart that pleases God? This morning I bring to you three characteristics of a heart that pleases God. The first is love. A heart that is filled with devotion to God, affection for God. Two, the will. A heart that is ready to do the will of God, to obey his commandments. Three, the third aspect of a heart that pleases God is trust. A heart that trusts God. I start with love, devotion to God, affection for God. It says in scripture, David himself penned these words, the poet of Israel. Psalm 27, verse number four. One thing have I asked of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of him in his temple. This morning we just sang a song. It was penned by Keith Green from the 1970s, a throwback. A young man who was a promising, upcoming rock star who had a change in life. He surrendered his life to Jesus Christ and then from then on his songs were all pertaining to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that wrote the song we sang this morning, O Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. One of the greatest songs ever written, I'm convinced, is one we blessedly get to sing in this congregation again and again. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Our resident poet, Bob, will be returning on Tuesday, Lord willing. He wrote another poem, At the Feet of Jesus. I'll share it with you. Contemplating you, dear Jesus, makes me hear your footsteps near. 
and the sensing of your majesty becomes so very dear. Your death and resurrection was for the world and yet for me. Lord, I want to be as Mary at your feet in Bethany. Whether walking a rugged path or watching soaring birds or in a church by candlelight, meditating on your word. It's thoughts of you that give me peace and bid me bend the knee. Lord, I want to be as Mary at your feet in Bethany. Partaking of communion, the body and the blood, puts me in your presence midst the pain, the nails, the wood. My love for you soars upward, always unto thee. Lord, I want to be as Mary at your feet in Bethany. When I think of you, dear Lord, joy completely fills my soul. My path in life grows beautiful. I become completely whole. To fill each waking thought with you is where I want to be. Lord, I want to be as Mary at your feet in Bethany. There's a lady I know that on her nightstand has a plaque. And this is what it says. She talked with God daily and that is what made her lovely. Back to David, the man after God's own heart. Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Now, God's not a narcissist. God is not declaring to us this morning through his word or through the proclamation of this word and saying, it's all about me. You look at the cross behind you, behind me, and you can see it's not all about God in the way that we would think of somebody being a narcissist saying it's all about me. God, in his character, has loved you. He has given you his very best. He continues to give you his very best every day on into eternity if you're in Christ. He's not a narcissist, but God is the first cause. What do I mean by that when I say God is the first cause? First cause means that before anything existed, he's there. Nothing ever caused God to exist. He just is. And this one who is our first cause, who has always existed is perfect in goodness and in beauty and in holiness and in love. And he created us in his image. To have goodness and beauty and holiness and love. And our highest joy, our highest joy in life, brothers and sisters, is to look upon him. That's what we're talking about right now. Affection for him. Love for him. Paying attention to him. Devotion to him. Our highest joy is to look upon him and to worship him, to adore him, to talk to him, to love him, and to be loved back by him. He's our creator God, but he's also our father. In love, 
He created us in his image, sons and daughters. In love he created you. In his love he created you, brothers and sisters. Our highest good, we talked about our highest joy, our highest good is to become like him, which we do through our faith in Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, we see the Father, the one in whom we have, been made in, we have been made in his image. When we see Jesus and we love Jesus and we obey Jesus, we become like Jesus. We get conformed to his image, which means we're being conformed and restored to the image of God, our Father. question this morning is, are you a man and a woman after God's own heart? What does your devotional life look like this morning, brothers and sisters? Two, the will. I have found David to be a man after my own heart who will do all my will, which means he will obey all my commandments. The heart is not only the seat of our emotions and our affections of our love, the heart is the seat of the will. David has said in that psalm we were just reciting a little bit ago, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord is what he wants to do all the days of his life, and to what? Inquire of him. Lord, what would you have of me? What do you want? Yes, he can ask questions of God. Well, I don't understand why this happens or that happens. There's a deeper inquiry when we go to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? What is your will for my life? How should I carry myself to inquire of him? True and faithful love for God is inseparable. It's inseparable from obedience. David, the man after God's own heart, will do all his will. Love and obedience go hand in glove. Jesus said to his disciples, the world must learn that I love the Father and I obey all that he commands me. I love the Father and I obey all that he commands me. Why? You can't separate love and obedience. We say, kind of a funny thing, a lot of you are into food shows. I guess they're so popular, you know, because we must like food. They say that in the past, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. But this is what is said about the heart of Jesus as it relates to food. I love when he said this to his disciples who said, you Master, you got to eat something. And he says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then there's us. Here's what Jesus said. He said it three times in John chapter 14. 
Whoever keeps my commandments is the one who loves me. And then he reverses it around. And then he, and then he says this. Whoever is the one who loves me, whoever is the one that we're claiming today, this morning, right, that we love him. Whoever is the one that loves me is the one who keeps my word. So what gets in the way of this love for God and this obedience, this doing his will? I'll keep it simple. Two words, the world. The Bible puts it this way. Do not love the world or anything in it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him or her. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh or the desires of the body, what my body craves, what your flesh just has got to have and consume and experience, the lust of the eyes, oh, I see that. I see that car. I see that thing. I see that woman. I see that man. I've got to have that. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Your accomplishments in front of people. Your attainments in front of people. Your affirmation with people. Your acceptance by people. Your approval from people. Security, your status, your position, how lofty are you before people, honor among people, power over people, to be esteemed by people, to be above others, ahead of others, to be well thought of by people, peer pressure, people, people. And all of this is not from the Father. It's from the world. And the world with its desires, the Bible says, is passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do you see how easy it is? I think it's easier said than done. But love and the will go together. The one who came before David... Let's look at the bookends of David. Saul, he was told to destroy the Amalekites, everything that breathed, but Saul only destroyed the despised things, as we heard last week or a couple weeks ago. He kept, he kept the things that were good, the things that were perfect, and he didn't kill the king. Samuel challenged Saul, and he told him that to obey is better than sacrifice. Saul was saving the best of everything. He tried to excuse himself, but then finally he confessed why it was that he did what he did in saving and preserving these good things. And here is what he said to Samuel when he made his confession. He finally was honest with Samuel. I feared the people. And I obeyed their voice. We can appreciate that this morning, can't we? 
brothers and sisters, where we're more concerned about what people think of us, we're more inclined to obey their impressions, what they insist upon, what social media insists upon, what the collective is saying out there. You want to fit in? Do you think that preachers are any different? The temptation, the pressure, even this morning to preach a word that you think is winsome, that you think that I really did a great job as a preacher this morning? No, that's of the world. Saul made a monument unto himself. That's what it said in 1 Samuel 15, 12, for his own honor. This morning we might think that's strange. I'm glad we don't do those kind of things anymore, that we don't put statues out in our front yard, in our image. But don't we do the same thing? Even on Facebook, social media devices, we're erecting electronic monuments of ourselves. We electronically chisel and shape the electronic image to convey what we want people to think of us. Look at what kind of dad I am. Or husband. See how holy I am. Look at my accomplishments. Look where I've been. Look at these restaurants I've been to. Facebook's not evil. Sharing things with others is not evil. But when the bent is to exalt yourself and draw the attention to yourself, when it becomes, it's all about me, it's turned into an idol, and God's not interested. God is not looking at what you post on Facebook what he's looking at this morning is what's in your heart. And then there's Solomon after David. The beloved of God. Deuteronomy 17 said this, before any king ever came into Israel, Deuteronomy 17, Moses had these words to say, do not acquire many horses. Do not go back to Egypt to go get your horses. Do not acquire many wives. This, these are instructions for the king. Do not acquire excessive silver and gold. And here's what Solomon did. The wisest man that ever lived, beloved of God. As he grew older, he acquired 1,400 chariots and who knows how many horses to go with those chariots. And where did he go? Back to Egypt to get them. He didn't just have some wives. Do not acquire for yourselves many wives. He had 700. And they were all princesses. And if that wasn't enough, he had 300 concubines. He made gold so abundant in Israel, the whole world had never seen anything like it. He made silver so common, it was just like stones. It was nothing. And the wives turned the heart of Solomon away from God, and he finished badly. I could ask the question this morning, what's in your wallet? But the question this morning is, what's in your heart? 
Third, trust. A heart that trusts God. These three go together. Love, obedience, and trust. It's like a three-legged stool. They go together. Take away any of those legs of love, obedience, and trust, and the stool will fall down. Take away any of those legs, and your heart will fail before the Lord. Now look at the life of David. When we read the Psalms, we see the stories. We see that in his writings, that which is true about David is that he was completely soaked in the mist and the dew of faith and trust. Psalm 22, 9. You took me from my mother's womb, David writes. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. Psalm 20. Some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 56, 3 and 11. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, David writes. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? David was probably only around 15 years old when he was anointed and commissioned to be the king of Israel. But it wasn't until he was 30 years old when he was installed as the king of Israel. And in between, and even after he was installed as the king, there were so many twists and turns and sudden and seemingly random circumstances in his life. Saul was in the way. He's the king. How's David going to get around Saul? Saul wants to kill David in time. But David was in God's control. He was in God's firm grip. You look at this passage that we just looked at here. He's anointed king. And starting in verse 14, you say, okay, how is David going to work this out, get around Saul? What's interesting is Saul's having trouble. He needs somebody to play a harp for him to get rid of this nasty feeling that he's got all the time. Oh, his servants say, we know a harp player. We know somebody who can come and play and make you feel better. And so they bring David in, the poet, the harp player, the liar, L-Y-R-E. And he plays, and now he's in Saul's service. Now, next week, when Lord willing Brandon brings us the message, we're going to hear about David and Goliath. And we're going to see these incredible circumstances. David's going to become the best friend of Saul's son. You're going to see these circumstances unfolding where you see God's hand is in the midst of all these details. These seemingly random circumstances are being pulled together to accomplish God's will and purpose for David's life. And he does the same thing for you. Trust him. Trust God. God's my. God's heart is moved by people who trust him like this. God's hand is moved by people who trust him like this. God leads, he guides, he provides, he protects. And he's called upon us to trust him. Trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. God is sovereign. He is in control. God is good. He loves us. All things work together for good to those who love him. And it's a comfort to me this morning. Like so many of you, I'm, we go through seasons in life where, Lord, I can't see. I can't see right now. I don't know what's coming up. I don't know what's coming up for our church. 
what the future holds for our church. Sometimes I just can't see. I don't know anything, Lord. This is what I say. I don't know anything. But I'll trust you. That's what I'm calling you to today in this proclamation of the word. Trust him. And I will keep on praying and loving and serving him, even if I don't know what I'm supposed to do or what direction all things are going. David is a great example to us. We can learn so much from him. But then there is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect example of a life of love, obedience, and trust. And so we follow his example. We follow Jesus Christ's example. But Jesus didn't come to merely set the example of what a heart pleasing to God looks like. He didn't come to set us an example merely to show what a life looks like that is pleasing to God. He came to give us the power to live the life that is pleasing to God. He exemplified the life that is pleasing and the power to live that life that is pleasing. And when we, when you, when I, we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we confess that Jesus died for our sins on that cross. When we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is our Lord and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we experience the forgiveness of sins, the cleansing from all unrighteousness. There's no condemnation hanging over our head. We have peace with God. We are united with Christ. He is in you. Literally, he is in you. Christ is in you. And you are in Christ. Your old self died with Jesus Christ. You were united with him on that cross dying with him, crucified with him. You now have been raised with him with a new life. You have a new heart. And you too, brothers and sisters, have an anointing. David had an anointing. Human beings anointed him with oil. We ordain elders here by laying on of hands, but the anointing that matters the most is the anointing that comes from the Holy Spirit. You have an anointing, the Holy Spirit of the living God, that he is the living God. The Holy Spirit is in the temple of your body. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, God himself, is with you, and he is in you. There is somebody in this church, we get into these conversations all the time. He favors when we talk about Jesus or the Holy Spirit, is that Jesus is with us everywhere. And the Holy Spirit is with us or upon us everywhere. And then I counter, actually, I compliment by saying, yes, and he is in us. I favor the fact that Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And some of you may favor that Christ is with you. And the Holy Spirit is upon you and with you. Jesus, in chapter 14 of the book of John, said, both are true. I'm going to send the helper, the counselor, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And he will be with you. And he will be in you. We have an anointing. You are a Christian. What does that mean? It means you're a Christ one. You're a Christ one. That's what a Christian is. You know what the word Christ means? Anointed. That's what his name means. Anointed one. Christ, the anointed one. Messiah, the anointed one. That's what those two words mean. 
And through your union with Jesus Christ, you share in his anointing. Brothers and sisters, you are now commissioned and empowered to live a life of love and of obedience and trust. You have been given the power by God to live a life that is made fit for God-glorifying, Christ-exalting service in the kingdom of God. A life that is fit to reign with him. David's not the only king. If you're alive in Christ this morning... You are obeying him. You're enduring with him. The Bible says you're going to reign with him. That's the Bible's words, not mine. And you are co-heirs with Christ. You're meant to rule. You're meant to be stewards of all that God created with Christ. He will always rule over you. You have an anointing. You've been given a power in Christ to live a life that pleases God. I close this sermon with an admonition, a holy warning, (laughs) a solemn charge. And here's what it is. You must choose. You must choose. You're not a robot. You're not a, part, a passive participant in this journey of faith. You had nothing to contribute when it came to your salvation. It's all of God. You simply had to believe, receive. But now that you're in Christ, this is not a passive journey. God in Christ And in his word has given you an example for living a life pleasing to God. And God in Christ has given you a power to live a life pleasing to God. You are not slaves to Satan, to sin, to self any longer. You have been set free in Christ. In Christ you have been given the power to choose. You do have a will that is active now. You do work with God. He always leads. But you are working with God in this process of becoming like Jesus. You have been given the power to choose to purposely love him, to adore him, to worship him, like we're doing this morning, to be in his word and in prayer, the devotional life. But will you choose it? To meditate on the cross and to experience his love for you. The devotional life. You have in Christ been given the power to choose to do his will, to obey him. You are not helpless. You don't obey only because you are moved by it in your heart or you feel like it. When the Bible says to us, or rather when Jesus says to us, this is my commandment, that you love one another, it's not even when you feel like it. We love each other in here because we feel like it. We love each other. Yes, the heart will be engaged as the Holy Spirit works, but love is as much an obedient move as anything. 
We love each other here. We hold together because we're being obedient to God, to Christ, to his commandments. And that is a proof that we really love him. We have been given the power to choose to trust him. As the song says, when you don't move the mountains, I need you to move. When you don't part the waters that I want to walk through, I will trust. I will trust. I will trust in you. Choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Commit to him. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. Imagine that now. God above. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. Upon beacon light this morning. Strengthening those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Do you see? Heart again. Love, obedience, trust. When these are at work in you, when you are committed to the Lord, the Lord will strengthen you through anything you go through. The eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the earth, strengthening those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The question this morning is, are you a man or a woman after God's own heart? If not, if you are not, turn to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a man or a woman after God's own heart, then finish well. Because I know a lot of kings and a lot of people who have not finished well. Let's not be numbered among them. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Amen.